Hello and welcome to the Mechanics Institute Review Podcast. My name is Peter J. Coles and I am the Managing Editor of Content for Mir Online. For this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk to Marzine Salim about his debut novel, The Prick. Marzine Salim is an author from Manchester, currently living in London. He has written short fiction for Literary Magazine, The Literature, Porno Kitsch, Open Pen and more, and is a regular reviewer at Strange Horizons. His first book, The Prick, is out now with open pen. So, welcome, Marzin. Thank you for having me. So first we're going to hear an extract from your book, if that's okay. Yeah. At the risk of all adding to the heap of anecdotes about getting caught in riptides that others have lived to tell and tell, let's relate what only the survivors really know. That first moment when... With a sort of, okay, silent resolve, you turn around, decide not to test the staring big dog that's come to block the lonely country road. Methodically, Will kicked his flippers and pulled the seat under him arm by arm. The sea rushed past, but laterally, first like foot traffic that buffeted him and slowed him in annoyance to teach him a lesson about going the wrong direction and getting in everyone's way, then like an irresistible force. No, no, this way, come on, you're going with us now. This is the way you were going, weren't you? This is what will have happened to you. Among his fears, a dilemma, whether to keep heading for shore before the tide closed off the option, or whether mustering his courage with a sustained burst of energy would mean he wouldn't notice, not till he'd exhausted himself, like he hadn't got any close to shore, hence guaranteeing he'd sooner or later drown. He made sea-boiling kicks and deep get-behind-me-Satan strokes, face down in the white bubbles of his exhale and up into the spangling sun. He hadn't got any close, close to shore. He felt like he kept slipping and falling, the water surging down his windpipe faster than he could keep it out. No relent and no mercy. That's it. That's it. A churn in the sea, like a speedboat without the boat, coming right at him. Will thought something had actually been shot at him, Agatha toting a harpoon gun on one hip, hopefully the ammo tipped in rubber. The churn slowed down as it neared, and the man's head inside explained confusingly, and harshly, Will later thought, that they had to get off this, though at the time Will gladly grabbed the man's arms. A triangle of thick arm came under his chin like a sleeper hold, and he stiffened at the liberty, but then childishly succumbed to it, went limp, and let the man drag him out of the stampede of water. The man jolted him out of his swirling stun. Fuck's sake, kick you numpty! He pulled Will onto some driftwood, or a float, or cabinet door he had under his other arm. Will kicked his guts out, literally, seeing as he would vomit once he got to shore. He was baffled, though, to the point of petulant anger that they weren't swimming straight to shore, but along it and continued to swim along, till his kicks became feeble foot drifts. Without a word, the man shook Will off, or Will slipped from the bodyboard, and the man didn't try fetch him back. In either case, the man swam away on it, stopping to tread water once, yes, but not looking back to check on Will, no, and soon the current reasserted itself even more brutally. Will was treading water too, though he attempted front crawl, then breaststroke, then drowning doggy paddle. The stupid injustice of what was happening now, on top of the accident that had happened before, made him kick so hard his left flipper loosened then shut away with the current. The snorkel and eye mask round his neck were choking him. At first faintly, almost with embarrassment, he called, Hey, you! Hey, you, help! You! Will didn't know Roland's name yet. Help me! God, help me, please! The man stopped swimming away at last, and he was far too tall. 
With the instant exasperation and condescension of a head teacher, he yelled, Put your feet down, lad! Will lowered his burning legs through the jacuzzi rush. He stood up on rocky sand and the water sluiced off to groin height. Still, it was difficult wading to shore. His rescuer hadn't swum them completely out of the tidal area, so much as into the ebbing water. Will walked as if tethered at the waist or against a strong wind, pedalling with his hands as he came, and swearing each time a rock bit his foot. Agatha was all over him now he was back, not crying but saying sorry on repeat. Will didn't understand what for yet, though in the unkind moments to come, he'd blame her for everything. They had to walk back, Will one flippered and sniffing with each step from the throat burn of salt water. Less from need than resentment, he stopped now and then to haul up his pricked foot and examine the bleeding. His rescuer hadn't come to shore to check on them, but had swum back to his friends, and Agatha, kicking sand over Will's vomit, agreed this was abnormal, but then the man wasn't a lifeguard or paramedic, he wasn't obliged to give any follow-ons or aftercare. When the Greek reappeared on his boat, he had to trail Will and Agatha along the shoreline with head shakes and unclear yells, and when he got off at the pier, slash Jesse, slash Key, slash Wharf, and before Will could yell at him as planned for not waiting around to keep an eye on them, the Greek looked at Will's bare foot, then brandished the forms they'd signed. Silently ahead, he walked them to the hotel, then waited in the reception for them to come down with the money. They only had high denomination euros. He didn't have change. That was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. So the first question I wanted to ask was that the novel, the novel is called The Prick, and it's based around this concept of Roland, this guy that just saved Will, as being a massive prick. But... Why did you want to make this the focus of your novel? Why was this idea about exploring what it means to be a prick or what's, so what it means to be for someone to be a terrible person? Maybe you can start by giving us a definition of, of what you think a prick is or in this sense. I think there needs to be an element of malice, mm. not, um, not something not too extreme, not someone who you would instantly know is mm. um, a monster. And he's, he's not, it's not a sort of thriller where um, Roland begins uh, with some sort of mission against Will. Mm. Um, but he is sort of self-aware. I think that's, the, for me, the key factor that differentiates him from other sort of terrible people uh, Roland could have been or other terrible characters in the story mm. um, is that Roland has a, a degree of self-awareness. He knows what he's like. He's not somebody who people find objectionable, but him, he himself wouldn't be aware of um, the impact he's, he's having. Mm. He's sort of everything from sort of uh, winding people up, almost like a real life troll, just to provoke and get a reaction. Mm. And also more generally just sort of doing what he wants and getting his way. Mm. Um, I think that for me was sort of the key personality I wanted to put into a story. Mm. And also it was the more dramatic character to go with as well mm. that in some sense um roland is gonna be actively doing things to everything from uh an, uh, an, an annoy the characters around him mm. and to some uh potentially pretty uh terrible stuff yeah towards the end of the book yeah <laughs> so so it was more that you just wanted to explore what this type of character was like well, the, the, the original image I had in my mind was of somebody in sort of a bar or, a, or, or some sort of social setting mm. who um, is kind of really larily leaning on somebody else to do him favours mm. and buy him around and, and 
you would sort of learn that the reason he can do that is because he'd originally saved that person's life. Okay. And I like the idea that, well, that's the sort of original dilemma or conflict is that you're, um, one character is in, is in sort of uh, debt to, to the other mm. um, for a, a biggest thing you can be, which is for somebody to save your life. Mm. And the act itself is heroic. That's the kind of ironic thing that um, Roland saved the life of a stranger mm. at the start of the story. But that doesn't mean he's going to be a particularly nice guy otherwise. Mm. Mm. Or that Will, who's the other character in the story, will react to it out of um, feelings of nothing but gratitude mm. or, um, you know, warmth. And in fact, quite the opposite happens almost immediately. Mm. Um, and this is why Will himself is the other half of the, of the story. He's the sort of point of view the story's told through. And initially seems like the audience or the reader I view on someone who's a, a, a lot more manifestly um, annoying. Mm. Um, but really, Roland sort of draws out Will's own. Um, uh, without spoiling it, Will's, Will, Will's own problems. Yeah. No, because I think there was something that I, as you start to read the book, you start to think, who is the real prick in this story? Um, but there's a great line, I think it's towards the end of the book, where I think Rodan says, if you're a prick, no, if I'm a prick, you're an asshole." And I think that's so interesting about the book is that neither of the, the main protagonists, the, the protagonist will, the antagonist, I guess, Roland, neither of them are good people. Neither of them are people that you want to spend time with. But you do manage to keep the reader wanting to read more. And I think this is really, really difficult. And I know in another interview you talked about um, this concept of the anti-hero and the hero and but you didn't want to just have this sort of good anti-hero you know the one that saves the day at the end you wanted to explore something differently I wonder if you could talk about that a bit or yeah like I think and it's certainly something we've seen in TV a lot mm. from characters like Tony Soprano mm. and less um, less complicatedly characters like Walter White mm. where um on some level, the story is inviting the reader or audience to want to be this person mm. because they project some idea onto them. As I said at the start, uh, these are characters who seemingly do what they want. And I didn't want, uh, although I don't actually think that is like a true assessment of a character like Tony Soprano, if you look at his life, it's pretty terrible. Mm. And so I didn't, I didn't want there to be on both sides. I didn't want them to be enviable because of their of what they can get away with, mm. which ordinarily the rest of us are too shy or embarrassed or weak to do. Mm. I didn't want that aspect. But neither did I want the aspect where you could too obviously have contempt for him. Mm. Um, and I think that's almost what I teased or wanted to tease at the start of the story was that this is a this is an obvious, almost like a, a archetypal nightmarish figure mm. um, but really the um, people around Will are going to hopefully start as the reader surrogates and by that very process make you question your initial reactions mm. to Roland um, because Roland's mainly mainly what, what people um, don't like about him uh, apart from all the stuff about him you know the more explicitly or conspicuously um, aggressive things that he does mm. uh, is that he's not one of them. Mm. There's an element of um, sort of class contempt mm. in there as well. 
it's not emphasized that much, but Roland's from out of town. Mm. Um, but then again, he's also sort of on the make. Mm. So he's not, he's not purely just somebody who's on a lower social scale that they can yeah. feel comfortably superior to mm. in many ways. Roland is very openly and explicitly superior to them in ways that they uh, care about. Mm. Will in particular, where Will gets into trouble when he's snorkeling because he's been a bit too confident about how good a swimmer mm. he is. Yeah. And that sort of sets their story going. Is that is that another theme that you were trying to bring out then? Is is this concept of the of the middle class malaise, as it were? Here you get sort of uh, a different type of middle class malaise in which it's about showing how sort of almost depressing it is to be in these social situations because you, you have different scenes don't you where you have, a, you have different parties and a picnic and it's about how everyone is just sniping each other and being mean about each other everyone stabbing each other in the back all to try and get status and is this something that, that you wanted to explore within the novel yeah absolutely like what i liked about all those scenes so the story is sort of built up as you said on uh, extended scenes pretty much in one location mm. and it was fun working out new arrangements of characters in specific settings and what sort of funny or awkward or embarrassing situations might transpire from them and in particular um, ones in which there's lots of social jockeying for power mm. especially because they highlight or um, emphasize what Roland can do which is he's just a lot more open about it mm. um, which is another thing that uh, I guess the other characters have a problem with is that he's a bit, he's a bit gauche. Mm. Um, whereas they uh, will be sort of um, sophisticatedly mean to each other mm. in ways which um, they can kind of cover their backs because mm. it's always it's always ambiguous. Mm. You don't know whether that comment was single edged or double edged. Mm. Whereas Roland will just come out and insult somebody to mm. their face. Um, which is, yeah, I guess a, another thing I wanted to uh, write about is is two characters where one is sort of crass, um, whereas the other person probably has quite a good uh, image of themselves, mm. which uh, on paper they don't really, or in, in reality rather, they don't really reserve, mm. deserve. Yeah, I think that's definitely true about Will, because by the end you don't, well, I don't know, did I like him by the end? I'm not really sure. But he is, he, he is definitely that person that believes themselves to be better than they are or believes themselves to be better than they have the capacity to be in that moment. And that's always frustrating. And I guess that's what makes him the asshole of the novel. The fact that he, he does try to become something, but he really, really doesn't have the capacity to be. Except at the end of the novel, it, without giving too much away, Will ends up on a cliff face uh, and he has to climb up a cliff without help. Why did you want to put him in this situation at the end of the novel? Why was it important to get him to a situation where he had to defend for himself, where he had to sort of become the person that he keeps bragging about that he is? Um, I wanted to repeat the pattern that I'd set in the earlier part of the story. So the story begins at sea and then there's two set pieces. Mm. So I like having a pattern which you then if you make it sort of stark enough, then the reader will start making the comparisons and contrasts in their mind that you want them to. Mm. So whereas the book begins with Will uh, quite literally out of his depth, the story ends with 
I mean, this was just like a little private joke to myself with a cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, it is Will being given the opportunity, or perhaps Roland has given him the opportunity to uh, match his self-image mm. with reality for mm. a change. Because as you described it prior to that, he's he's forever projecting an image, mm. Will is, um, of how he would like people to see him. Mm. And, um, You've got, sure. you, you have this brilliant line um, where you say that Will would n- is not the type of person that would risk his, no, would risk his life to save his own life. And I think that's just, that sums it up perfectly in the sense that he, he does not have the capacity to be the person that he thinks he is. And I think I want to come back to this later with this concept of masculinity later on in, in the interview. Um, but moving on. So in another interview that I read, you, would, you wrote about how, you said about how you wanted the whole feeling of the, the book to be like an anecdote you're being told. And I wonder if you could talk about this and how you went on to achieve this style. It does feel like that. I think because it's about um, annoying people in various ways, the way we usually get that information in our everyday lives is through gossip. Mm. And I liked the way that people who don't think of themselves as storytellers uh, can be very good at telling funny stories Mm. or shocking stories uh, about people in, in their own lives. And so that seemed like the natural form, or not form is the wrong word, the natural tone to give mm. it. And also it came, I can't remember which came first, but I definitely didn't want the book to um, have that sort of uh, realist vibe where you're imagining yourself into a sort of slice of life. Mm. Uh, I wanted there to be a narrator, but without the narrator being a character. Mm-hmm. So the, the the narrator of the book is just simply the voice of the book. There's no mm-hmm. personality behind the narrator, but it is a narrator's story. And there are moments where the, the story will break out of the point of view mm-hmm. of the characters to sort of comment on it. But as you would with an anecdote. And so the actual phrasing will be things like, you know, swiftly moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has that still conversational style, while at the same time emphasizing that this isn't, meant to you're not meant to pretend that this really happened mm. um that the that the book itself is telling you the story mm. um, and why did you want why did you want to create that distance between sort of reality and, and fiction um i think it gave me opportunities to comment on the story mm. in ways that i would otherwise um feel weakened it so for example the ways in which each chapter has some aspect of what kind of story you're um, reading. Mm. So at one point, um, there's this sort of discussion of what like satire mm. is, because it's very easy to sort of just think as of, of the book as a satirical story. But actually, there's a whole problem with satire, which mm. is that the kind of people who get satirized are not going to read the, mm. the satire on them. Mm. Um, so in that sense, it's a it's a very impotent. Uh, genre and an impotent way to tell a story and so I wanted to give myself the opportunity to have those have that kind of commentary on itself mm. without shoehorning in too much of you know people sat around the table and discussing the themes of the story in an awkward way though mm. so the easier simpler way would be to go for a non-realist approach and have a na- have the narrator of the story even though they're not a character in the story just comment on it as we go along. Mm. It reminded me a bit of um, the unbearable likeness of being Milan Kundera. Is yeah. that how you say it? In that sense, where you have this narrator that is 
uh, there's a clearly it's clearly a character. There's clearly somebody talking to you, but it's never mentioned who they are. And I think yeah, I think it works really really well. And for me, it was a bit unsettling as well because I I kept on thinking there were moments where the the, the narrator talks to the reader, and I, I didn't understand what was happening exactly. But I think. Um, uh, yeah, that, you, that that explains what that, that why it elicited that emotion in me that I wanted that character to be part of the story and not just to be telling it to me. I wanted to move on to talk about sort of if the sort of middle class malaise was one aspect of it, then I, maybe masculinity is another aspect of the story that maybe you wanted to explore. We we mentioned before about the concept of the anti-hero and the hero, and it reminded me of of uh, films like The Cable Guy and and Fight Club, where you have the sort of sort of weak protagonist and the very strongly willed uh, and well, uh, antagonist. But you subvert it slightly because usually the weak one has no power at all, whereas Will has quite a lot of power in the story. I'd argue he 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 does a lot, and Roland fails a lot. Mm. And Roland is not so strong, and Roland has vulnerability. And I wondered why you didn't just go for a more straight, he is the strong guy, he is the weak guy, he is the alpha male, he is the sort of puppy that is going to be played with. Why did you choose to play it differently? I think it would have been a... Like, I did consider doing that sort of story, and there were certain obvious situations that then presented themselves. And I think it would have been a lot more heightened and grotesque, mm. um, which could have which could have been good. And I'm, I'm not looking at those kind of stories, and I like them a lot. Um, what I wanted to challenge myself more with was to not make um, either character particularly sympathetic or either character particularly despicable, mm. just as a way to then work out what are the most sort of interesting and complex and funny things you can nonetheless still do with two characters. Um, so I'm also a big fan of The Cable Guy. Um, in a story like that, uh, it's a lot more about these very explicit ways one character torments the other. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's basically sort of a thriller plot played for laughs. Mm. So that's what I want, wanted to avoid. Um, is that I didn't want the laughs just to be uh, about this absolute monster. Um, instead, to try and figure out subtler ways to nonetheless still get extreme emotional reactions. I want the reader to feel sort of awkward and embarrassed for the characters mm, and hopefully do. to find it funny <laughs> yeah. um, without having to rely on two broad strokes to mm. achieve those results. And what about sort of this idea of, uh, of masculinity then, about exploring this sort of modern masculinity in the sense that it, there is, it does seem fractured between these two states of a will-like character, usually a man who is uh, maybe not so confident in himself, but it over, overplays his strengths, such as the beatboxing, which I found very, very funny. And then Roland, somebody that just has so much confidence that you just don't understand where it comes from. I like the idea that people would underestimate or they would focus on the wrong aspects of, for example, Roland. So there's a scene in which characters are trying to get to the bottom of uh, Roland. Mm. And the things that they focus on are things that he says, Mm. Um, even though there's a lot more apparent worse things that he does. I like the idea that the 
characters have their own ideologies that are getting in the way of them seeing clearly. Mm. Um, not that this person is actually good when they when they perceive this person as bad, mm. but but that they're bad in a different way, and um, because they're too overly focused on what Will is focused on, which is um, the image you project. Mm. So both Will and um, the the circles he move in, they're sort of focused on surface, and that is part of the reason that they miss the ways in which Roland really is bad mm. until until it uh, gets a bit too late. Mm. And also, there's an element of as well that they sort of relish it as well. Mm. People um, around Will sort of enjoy telling these like gobsmacking stories about him. And they're sort of almost distracted by that. Mm. Whereas Will has the more complicated relationship because he he feels sort of humiliated from the start of the story. So he doesn't he doesn't enjoy uh, he did, he doesn't in, in, enjoy this sort of like gleeful contempt that mm. some of the other characters have. He has a more um, m- more sort of sinister or or difficult kind of psychological undercurrent which goes back to the thing you exactly described which is will will lacks what roland has Mm. uh, which is um, a certain amount of self-assurance and knowing what you want and how to get it Mm. and that doesn't therefore make roland like some sort of superstar no like he's still i was very uh um keen to still give roland lots of just like openly annoying characteristics, yeah, like like the banter, yeah, like the exactly. Bants, which I, which yeah, immediately made me just cringe. I was like, oh god, I hate that. <laughs> which is what makes it more complicated for Will, because on on one level there is a lot of en- envy mm. and resentment in that relationship, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not pure because the resistance to it is that Will does have contempt for Roland. Mm. Um, he is a bit embarrassed by him and so he doesn't totally just want to emulate him and be like him in a way that you know um, as you mentioned in Fight Club Mm. where one character is everything the other character would want to be yeah whereas um, and again this is where the sort of class element of masculinity comes Mm. back in is that Will is the kind of character who would be if he didn't know Roland would be intimidated by him whilst being contemptuous of it. It's that it's that character that has no depth but all the outside appearance of it, which I just found very, very interesting. And I think it's kind of it's sort of becoming the default man. Maybe that's too big of a statement. But I I, I recognise a lot of the way that men act in this modern day. Because there is a sense that Will has nothing to grip hold of. There is nothing in his life that he truly loves that he truly likes. He doesn't seem to care about his partner very much. His job seems sort of amorphous. Going back to the sort of towards the end of the book, when he's forced to face and become the man that maybe he thinks he is, was that you sort of saying, this is what needs to happen for men like Will? That they need to be tested like this? Or that we need to be tested like this as men? I don't think the word need is one I would use. Mm. I would say that they will be tested. They will be tested, okay. In as much as, unless you're lucky enough to have built a life in which you are guarded from reality mm. by the social circles you've chosen to move in and the amount of privilege you may have, mm. um, 
eventually your self-estimation and reality are going to clash and reality mm. will always win. Mm. And I wanted, it wasn't, but the difficult thing about talking about these things is obviously the, the, the situation Will ends up in is, is not an accident. No. And it's not. Oh, it's, so it's not an accident. Well, well in the sense of... Because um, <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. It, sorry, I didn't mean the, in the plot sense. I mean oh, okay. in, the, in the sense that I uh, created that for the yes. character. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there is a sense in which I have put Will in this testing relationship. Mm-hmm. But within the, the reality of the story, it was just sort of an example of eventually a character like Will will sort of crash into reality. Mm. And then that will be the, the, the test of whether they can live up to their own sort of self-expectation mm. or, or or get like the news from reality, which is um, you're, you're, you're not as good as you think you are. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, what the end of the story is about. Mm. To go into complete spoiler territory, and if you don't want to know what happens, then please stop listening now or stop <laughs> the book, read the book, and then come back to this point. Why did you let Will win? Why did you let him get to the top of the mountain? That was something that I was wondering towards the end of the book. And I, and I felt, as I was reading it, I felt that Will was going to make it. I, you gave, I don't think you tricked the reader into sort of thinking that he was going to die. I think you, you signposted, I'm not sure how, but you signposted it that he was going to make it to the top. But why did you feel like he should make it and not be rescued or plummet to his death? I think I wanted the final scene with... Will and I wanted to break the pattern finally. So mm. each chapter of the story um, is titled in a way that relates it back to uh, the day where mm. Roland rescued Will from drowning. So the first chapter is called That Day, mm. and then the next chapter is called The Week After That Day. And it sort of extends sort of logarithmically, gets longer and longer. Whereas the final chapter, breaks the pattern in the sense that it doesn't have a title. Mm. So it's no longer oh, an experience okay. that is pegged to that day. Oh, okay. um, Will sort of broken free of that day and the way in which his, his life for 10 years in the end mm. has been uh, um, centred on this uh, incident in the sea at the start of the book. Mm. And also it changes from scene to um, more of a summary mm. um, prior to that. The, the story of the writing was predominantly done in scenes with summaries sort of interwoven. Mm. Um, but they're by and large all scenes with a set number of people in a single location. And then you break off in the final final chapter into uh, a, a summary that sort of crosses spaces and times. Mm. Um, just to suggest that something has changed. Um, and I wanted to break the pattern in that sense and I also wanted there to be one final moment of um, Roland and Will interacting and there to be a suggestion that there there to be two versions of what might have happened Mm -hmm. in Will's confrontation with Roland after he gets off the cliff Um, well seeing as the spoiler section of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) either either the whole thing was um Roland's doing mm. and he has turned out to be as malign as Will always thought or um, it's just yet another example of Will not being completely in touch with uh, what's really going on mm. um, and I didn't want to leave it on a sort of like cheesy Inception style oh did it fall over or not mm. moment so that, that that isn't the only aspect of that final chapter that the main uh, the main point for me with that uh, ending is that it's 
something has changed. Mm. Something has changed in the story and something has changed in the form of the book. So we're going to move on to our final question, which is what are you reading at the moment and what would you recommend people read? Um, I am reading at the moment um, At Swim Two Birds, okay. which I've never read before. And I'm also reading, my reading's being very fragmented at the moment. Les Murray, who's the Australian poet who died mm. I think just the other month. And uh, uh, Wonderbook, which is a book by Jeff Vandermeer, uh, which is about specifically science fiction and fantasy writing. Mm. Um, who He's the author of the Annihilation yeah. trilogy, um, which is just really gorgeously designed sort of book with lots of artwork. And um, books that I would recommend that I've read. I usually keep a list. Okay. I'm just going to bring up my list. Just getting out the list. Uh, so the last good book I read was... Not the last good book I read. Um, the Other Wind, which is the last Earthsea book, I suppose, okay. I wrote, mm-hmm. which is a really great example, if people are looking for it, of um, seeing a writer develop in action, where she wrote these books um, in the 70s and wrote the final volume I think in the late nineties or early noughties. Mm. And since then had taken on board the criticism or even the self-criticism that she'd written, like a very boys own story to begin with. Mm. Boys own, as opposed to boys own the Irish band. <laughs> and um, she builds that into the form of the book and, and the, the world of the story where it is about um, the patriarchy in this fantasy world that she's created. And mm. it's about the sort of rise of, women and, and how that impacts not just on the uh, society of the story but on the on its sort of fantastical aspect mm-hmm. so that there is like a world change and it's a really good example as well of um a lot of books will end in quite cheesily hollywood apocalyptic ways mm-hmm. especially big sagas and her book and her story ends in a way that is sort of a very similar but different a method to achieve that mm. goal. Mm. Um, so it's something, you know, world-changing happens, but mm. in a very subtle and poetic and gentle way. Okay. So it's a good way to find out how to end a book if, yeah. you're, if, you're, if you're struggling. Yeah. Great. Okay, so where can people find uh, The Prick? So it should be available in your uh, local independent bookstores mm-hmm. and otherwise it's on... The OpenPen website, mm-hmm. uh, and which is openpen.co.uk, and alongside uh, this book, there's the others in the series by Santi Barker, mm-hmm. Fernando Strigotti, and Scott Manley Hadley. Mm-hmm. So we're the first sort of batch, and OpenPen will be hopefully doing sort of three or four of these now uh, a year. I don't want to. <laughs> hold, well, hold the show we're going to talk this. to them in a couple of weeks so I'll, I'll find out all the details then but you can get it yeah, so get it from your local bookshop uh, independent bookshop and uh, openpen.co.uk well thank you for coming to talk to us today it was thank very very interesting great thank you thank you to Marzine Salim for taking part in this podcast and thank you for listening if you like what we do here at Mirror Online and you'd like to support us why not check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash mirrorline, where we have a ton of rewards aimed at supporting new writers. You can follow us on Twitter at mirrorlinebbk and hear previous episodes of the podcast wherever you listen to them. <laughs>